Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Titus. The book of Titus and chapter number 2. The book of Titus and chapter number 2. We are continuing with our series, The Pastoral Epistles, and we'll be finishing up the book of Titus on Wednesday. The next, excuse me, next Sunday morning, we'll be finishing up and this series by starting the book of 2 Timothy. As we go through, let me give you a reminder that the pastoral epistles are not written to a church, but they're written to individuals. In this case today, the person of, of Titus, who was one of Paul's son in the faith. And as he's writing to him, he's trying to give encouragement to Titus, trying to be a help to him, trying to prepare him to be the pastor he ought to be, and what he as the pastor is supposed to instruct to the church. Now we come to one of the most important key passages in the book of Titus, a very important reminder for us as we find our way to the book of Titus in chapter number 2. Titus in chapter number 2, and if you don't mind, let's pick it up in verse number 11. Titus chapter number 2, and notice with me in verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority, let no man despise thee. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Titus, chapter number 2? Titus, chapter number 2, and notice with me in the end of verse number 12, Titus, chapter 2, and verse 12, the phrase, in this present world. In this present world. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God. And we thank you for the practicality of your scripture. That it's not just theology, it's not just philosophy, it's not just some gee whiz information. But Lord, you instruct us in a very practical way how we can live our lives on a daily basis. And what we should do and what is expected to us as individuals in this present world. We're just asking now as we open up the scripture that it would be clear, that it would be understood, that you could help examine our lives and help us to live soberly. <coughs> Excuse me. That we could live our lives soberly and that we could live our lives righteously and we could live our lives godly in this present world. Once again, I dare not trust my own. I don't trust my physical health, my mental health, my spiritual health. The best I know how I give myself to you and ask that you Please fill me with your presence, 
spirit, that you could give truth, that you could give good doctrine, good word to people today, and that people would be hungry for your word today, and that they would taste and see that the Lord is good. Thank you again for you being a wonderful God. In Jesus' name, amen. As we come to the book of Titus in chapter number 2, we see something very interesting. We see the three tenses of salvation found within the book of Titus. Now, what are tenses? Remember, in the English language, we have three tenses. We have past tense, we have present tense, and we have future tense. With this, we understand that God has done something wonderful for us in the past. He has done something wonderful for us in the present. And then he has something planned for us in the future. And that each aspect of salvation does something for us. In the Bible, we have a very wonderful word called sanctification. The word sanctification carries the idea that God has separated us unto himself for a purpose. We know that in the past, Jesus Christ died for us and saved us from the penalty of sin. In the present tense, Jesus Christ has saved us from the power of sin. And in the future, Jesus Christ will save us from the presence of sin. Isn't that wonderful? So in the past, Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for our price, and we no longer owe the penalty of hell ever again. We are saved from the penalty of our sin. In the present tense, because of Jesus Christ and his blood, he saved us from the power of sin, meaning we don't have to sin anymore. And then in the future, Jesus Christ will save us from the presence of sin, meaning he'll give us a brand new body that will not be able to sin. Won't that be a wonderful? That's one thing I'm looking for to heaven. I get tired of sinning. I get tired of this flesh failing God over and over and over and over again. That one day I'm going to get a brand new redeemed body and I'll be saved from the presence of sin. I'll no longer have to sin or have the ability to sin within my body. And so we could see that there are three tenses of sanctification. That in the past, he saved me from the penalty of sin. In the present, he saved me from the power of sin. In the future, he save, will save me from the presence of sin. Well, in the book of Titus, in chapter number two, we could see once again, God is using these three tenses, that something God did for us in the past, something he's doing for us in the present, and something he's going to do in the future. And each of those affect the way that we live on a practical basis. If you don't mind, let's start off with the past. Notice with me in verse number 11, and we could see in verse number 11, that he brings salvation to every man. In verse number 11, we can see that he brings salvation to every man. Notice again in verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. Now, verse number 11 is a short verse, but it has so much in it. It says, for the grace of God. By the way, what is the grace of God? The grace of God is Christ's riches at God's expense. It is giving to us what we don't deserve. By the way, we don't deserve heaven. 
We don't deserve God's forgiveness. We don't deserve to be saved from our sins. But yet God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary. And he did it because he loved us. And that anyone who accepts Jesus Christ as his personal savior will be forgiven of all of their sins. By the way, who was it that brought it to us? It was God that brought it to us. Man did nothing to get saved. We did nothing to earn salvation. Jesus Christ paid it all. That we know that between God and man there was a great gulf fixed. There was a separation. And that God, as much as he wanted to have man have fellowship with him, he could not allow man to approach because of man's sin. Man, as much as he would like to go to God, could not approach a holy God because of his sin. And so the problem was that sin needed to be paid for. And so what Jesus Christ did is he died on the cross for your sins and mine. And the Bible phrase that is used for it is substitutionary atonement. That Jesus Christ died for us and he died as us. When Jesus Christ died for us and he as us, then it took care of God's wrath. The word, Bible word that is used for that is propitiation, which means the appeasement of God's wrath. That means that because Jesus Christ died on the cross for us and as us, that God is no longer angry because of sin, because his sin was satisfied. By the way, how do we know that Jesus Christ, or that God was satisfied with the payment that Jesus made? The resurrection of Jesus Christ. We know that Jesus Christ died on the cross, was buried on a borrowed tomb, but on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again. And when he arose to the third day, it proved two things. It proved that Jesus was God, and it proved that God was satisfied with the payment that was made. That was the receipt. God was accepted that payment. And the Bible word for that is propitiation. That Jesus Christ died for us and as a substitutionary atonement. He was our propitiation. God was satisfied with the payment. He's no longer angry because of the sins. Then on man's side, Jesus Christ was our redemption. He paid our price. The word redeemed means to buy back as from like a slave market. Jesus Christ purchased our price with his blood. He bought us with a price. So Jesus Christ was our substitutionary atonement. He was our propitiation. He was our redemption. Then the last thing that remains is reconciliation. Bringing two parties together for an agreement. And what Jesus Christ did. God are you satisfied with the payment? And it was. And it was proved by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Then all that is left is for each individual person to accept Jesus as their savior. To receive them. Now remember a prayer doesn't save anybody. Jesus saves them. A prayer is just accepting the payment that Jesus made. And so who was it that brought salvation? Verse number 11. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation. It was God that brought salvation. It was nothing that we did. Nothing that we can do to earn salvation. It was a free gift. The Bible talks about in Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That God did all the work. And it was God that brought salvation to men. And notice who's all the recipient of it. Verse number 11, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. 
That's why the Bible says, whosoever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. This promise is available to anyone and everyone. That God does not uh, segregate. He does not discriminate. He does not put people in one category and another category and say these people can never be saved. As the only qualification for salvation is you must be a sinner. And we all meet that qualification. It doesn't matter where you're from or when you're from. As long as you're a sinner, you can be saved. But you must go to Jesus Christ for it. And so we can see that here it deals with the past. That Jesus Christ died for us. And that he made salvation available for us. Because of the grace of God. And there's many people who could spend a lot of time on Calvary's Hill. Thinking about what Jesus Christ has done for us in the past. But we also have something that Jesus Christ has done for us in the future. Notice with me in verse number 13. We can see in the future that we should be looking unto verse number 13. Looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. So here we could see looking unto Jesus. We're in the past at Calvary, Jesus Christ died for us. We know that he wandered with the... Um, with his disciples for 40 days and then he ascended to heaven. And our great blessed hope is that Jesus Christ is coming again. And he is coming again. A literal physical Jesus. That same Jesus is coming back. And that's our blessed hope. That should be something we should be excited about. That Jesus Christ is coming again. Are you excited about it? Are you looking forward to that blessed hope? Is it something that you can't wait to happen? Jesus Christ is coming back. And when he comes back, he's coming back for you and for me. He's coming back. We know his second coming comes in two phases. The first phase is when he comes in the cloud. And he's going to rapture us away. He's going to call us away. In the twinkling of an eye. The Bible says that the dead in Christ shall rise first. And us that are alive and remain shall meet him together up in the air then we know that he is going to come back to rule and reign on this earth and we're coming back with him. And Jesus Christ, when he comes back the second time, the first time he died, he had to go to the cross of Calvary. The second time he comes, he's not going to Calvary. He's coming to rule and reign. He's already paid the price. He is coming back for you and for me to rule and reign for a thousand years to establish his earthly kingdom. And we're looking forward to that blessed hope because it is the fulfillment of the promises that God has made to us. And we can look forward to Jesus Christ coming. Now, we know that we can spend time in the past thinking about Jesus Christ uh, and what he has done for us on the cross of Calvary. And we should reflect on what Jesus Christ has done. We could spend time looking in the future. And saying Jesus Christ is coming. Jesus Christ is coming. But in between the past and the future. We have something called the present. And that even though we could live on Calvary's love. We still have to go to work. Even though we can look forward to Jesus soon return. We still have to raise our kids here and now. That we have to live in this present world. And so if you don't mind, the third thing and where I want to spend time at is living in this present world. Notice with me in verse number 12. It says, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly when in this present 
world. Do you know that because Jesus Christ died for us on the cross of Calvary, because Jesus Christ is coming again and we're looking forward to that blessed hope of Jesus Christ coming again, because of those two things, there is an expectation that God has for us to live in this present world. How are we supposed to live in this present world? Verse 12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust. Well, we know that there's a practical side that there are certain things we need to deny. We need to deny ungodliness. We need to deny worldly lust. You know, there are certain things of the world that we should stay away from. Certain things that we as Christians need to avoid because of Calvary's love. Because Jesus Christ is coming again. There are certain things that we need to deny and stay away from. But on the practical side, it says that we should live soberly. The word soberly carries the idea of seriously. In this context, it carries the idea that we have right thinking about life. A right thinking about life. That we should live soberly. The Bible says that we should live righteously. What is righteously? It means to live right. To do things that are right. That we should live soberly, righteously, but notice this, godly. Do you know that there are some people who have righteous lives but do not have godly lives? There's a difference. Someone could live a good moral life and not be godly. There's a difference. So we understand that God has an expectation because of what Jesus Christ did on Calvary's cross. That God has an expectation because of what Jesus Christ is going to do when he comes back for you and for me to fulfill the promises he made. That in this present world, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Now normally at this time, the preacher is turned loose and he could preach about what he thinks that is soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. But the good thing is the Bible gives us something called context. And that we could see in the context what is it that God means when he says that we should live in this present world soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Well, if you don't mind, let's see what God gives in this passage. And we've touched on some of this before, but as we put it together, what is God looking for in this present world? Well, the first thing that God is looking for is that God expects holy grandfathers. God expects holy grandfathers. For those of you who are grandfathers or those who are senior saints, this is your passage. What is God expecting from you? Notice with me in chapter 2 and verse number 1. But speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men live sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, charity, and in patience. You know what God is expecting? God is expecting holy grandfathers. You understand grandfathers have such an influence. And grandfathers can influence their grandchildren to live for the Lord or to stay away from the Lord. There's an idea of influence and what a great grandfather can do for a family. Notice this, that the Asian men be sober. Here's that word sober again. It carries the idea of serious, taking life serious, realizing that, that their influence affects other people. That they be grave. The word grave carries the idea that they're reverent. 
that there are certain things that they have respect for. The word temperate carries the idea of putting yourself under control. That there are certain things you deny in order to be the person that you ought to be. Sound in faith. Grandfathers are expected by God in this present world to know the Bible. To know what they believe and why they believe it. Notice this. In charity and in patience. All grandfathers need to be very patient people. Because grandchildren require lots of patience. But to be able to take a young child and to influence them for the Lord and to set them down and say, let me tell you some things that are true. There's a God in heaven who loves you very much. There's a God in heaven who sent his son to die for you. And there's a God in heaven who's coming back to be able to have holy grandfathers to be able to influence their grandchildren. We know that in this present world that not only is God expecting holy grandfathers, but God is also expecting holy grandmothers. God is expecting holy grandmothers. Notice again with me in verse number 3. The aged women likewise, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. Not false accusers, not given a much wine, teachers of good things. That in this present world, God is expecting grandmothers to be holy, to live holy lives, to be an example on those that follow. The aged women, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. My wife has a testimony that when she grew up, she thought all older ladies were godly. All older ladies had their stuff together. And then when she started working in a retirement home, she found out that's not always true. That there's a lot of... Uh, sour-faced, grumpy old ladies who seem to be mad about the world. But the Bible says that because of Calvary's love, because Jesus Christ is coming soon, that the aged women, these holy grandmothers, the grandmother should live in behavior as in a holiness. That's what the Bible says, that they be in behavior as becometh holiness. That there should be an example that, where did I learn faith in God? My grandmother. My grandmother loved the Lord and followed after the Lord. What an influence it has for a grandchild to look up at a grandmother and say, there's someone who walks with the Lord. I've, I'm in church today because I have a grandmother who loved me so much and followed after God. What an influence that a grandmother can have. Notice this. The aged women likewise that they become in behavior as becometh holiness, not false accusers. We all know older ladies who like to gossip and yak and be false accusers and be grumpy about every little thing. Well, we understand that our words can uh, say much and influence much. And so in this present world, because of Calvary's love, because Jesus Christ is coming back, God is expecting holy grandfathers. God is expecting holy grandmothers. But in addition, God is also expecting holy Mothers. God is expecting holy mothers. Notice with me in verse number four. That they may teach the younger women to be sober. Again, here's that word sober for the third time that we've seen it in the text. That word sober carries the idea of taking things seriously. Taking life seriously. Realizing that a mother has children and she doesn't have time to waste. That the 
uh, golden age of learning is age five. That between ages zero to five, they learn so much, even things we take it granted for. To, for a child to learn how to take a step and to learn how to walk, that's a lot of learning to be able to have the coordination. They begin to learn so much about speech. Before a child says its first word, a child already knows over 2,000 words and can recognize 2,000 words. They say, those people who study such things, that by the time a child is about five years old, their personality is being formed. By the time they're age seven, their personality is set of whom they are, their type of personalities, their quirks. And so those first years of learning are, are times to take serious. We all know ladies who decide, well, I have a baby here and I don't know what to do with it, so I'm going to go hang out with my friends. And they neglect the child. And that child is hurt because of it. To, for a lady, for holy ladies now to realize they have a huge responsibility and in influencing a child for the Lord. You think about... Uh, Jochebed, Moses' mother. You go back in the Bible and you realize that she only had Moses for five years. That's it. After the five years, Moses was taken into the palace of the king and sent through the education system of Egypt. And yet Moses had a faith in God because of what her, his mother taught him in the first five years of his life. We understand that this is a time to influence a child to follow the Lord in the first years of his life. That he can learn. That he is paying attention. That they are perceiving the things that are going on. And that young women, mother, holy mothers, need to be serious about their responsibility. To love their husbands. And we covered this before, but you know... <laughs> to love someone's husband is not natural. What do I mean by that? Because you realize how selfish you are. And you have to die to self to love to your husband. Because not everyone can have their own way. And there's an idea that in a marriage, you have to die to self. Both parties have to die to self. But as we're speaking to, to mother, uh, young mothers, this is something they have to realize. That there is a way to love their husband. It doesn't come naturally because love is not a feeling. It's a commitment. Notice as it goes on, to love their children. Oh, this is another thing that doesn't come natural. Because you get this little squirming baby. And it looks cute for the first couple of days. And then you realize it's a pooping machine. And it cries. And it doesn't be quiet when you want them to. And you try to do everything you can and it still cries for no reason. What do I do with this? And there's times that it's hard to love a child when they're 13 and stealing money from your purse. It's hard to love them right at the moment. Time. To, to have those type of things. But there is a time to love your children. To teach them that because you love your children, you will discipline them. That's part of love. Because you love them. I heard of a, uh, uh, I was with a person who, who um, was a young man and he was t telling people that he had a diploma but he didn't graduate. And people scratched their heads. So what do you mean by that? You have a diploma. Didn't you walk across the stage? Yes. I walked across the stage. I got a diploma but I didn't graduate. Well, what do you mean by that? Well, he said, there were, I was struggling so much in school that the teachers, they just graduated me anyways. They just sent me to the next class and the next class. And then as a young man, I found out I needed to know those things, but they didn't teach me. They just moved me on, moved me on. 
And now I'm struggling so much in life. If they would have loved me and took time to make sure I knew those things rather than just pass me on to the next level, I wouldn't have been in the issues that I have now. Well, that's a big deal. Well, the same thing with disciplining a child. Because you love them, you will correct their behavior. You will be consistent in there. That's part of loving a child. The Bible talks about in the book of Hebrews, talking about God and his relationship with us, that it says that a good uh, loving father will take a child outside of the woodshed. That's my paraphrase version. But he will chastise him. If a father doesn't chastise a child, then he's not, the, he's not a, a, a child of the father's. We understand that if a mother, holy mother, loves a child, there will be discipline. Notice as it goes on, still talking about a holy mother, that they teach the young women to be sober, to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet. There are certain things that a a young mother shouldn't talk about. They should not play the telephone game and tell every child what what they've done wrong to everyone. That hurts a child, especially if you want to teach them forgiveness. The word chaste carries the idea uh, of keeping yourself modest. And that's part of what needs to be uh, part of a young woman's life, a holy mother's life, is someone who carries herself in modesty. Keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God be not blasphemed. We know that because of Calvary's love, because Jesus Christ is coming back, that there is a way that we should live in this present world, that God is expecting holy grandfathers. God is expecting holy grandmothers. God is expecting holy mothers. But the Bible says that God is also expecting holy men. Holy men. Notice with me as the Bible goes on, and notice with me in verse number 6. Young men likewise exhort to be sober-minded. Once again, we have this word sober. Four times in Titus chapter number two, we see the idea of sober. That the idea that each one of these categories, God wants people to take life seriously. To understand that what you do in life has an impact, an influence. The thing that you think is stupid and foolish and you just do it anyways and it won't affect anything else does affect other things. That we need to take life seriously and realize that we only have a small amount of time to influence people. You think about a child. That you only have a child for 18 years. Now at the very beginning that seems like a long time. But when you get almost out of that 18 years you realize that just went quick. It just flew by. And you look back as they get older and say, man, I only have a small amount of time and I have so much I want to teach them. How am I going to get it in? Well, we can't miss the golden opportunities of learning to be able to take advantage of those times. That's why the Bible says that holy grandfathers, grandmothers, mothers, men, that they need to be sober. They need to take life seriously, understanding that what you do does affect other people. Notice as it continues to go on in verse number six, young men likewise exhort to be sober minded in all things showing thyself a pattern of good works. Meaning that in this present world, we should have holy men who live an example, a pattern of good works for other people to follow in doctrine, showing uncorruptness, meaning that young men need to know what the Bible says and why 
what they believe and why they believe it. Gravity. The word gravity carries the idea of dignity. And of course, we took some time to explain this on Wednesday night, that we live in a generation now that doesn't have dignity at all. I was talking with a young man last night who was who is a defense attorney. And he hates everything about authority, everything about police, everything about this and that. And he was telling me that he had three different judges pull him aside outside of a courtroom and and address him because he was not properly dressed inside of their courtroom. He wasn't wearing proper attire. He wasn't wearing something that would be respectable in a court of law. Well, that's the type of... Uh, of world we live in is that they have no dignity about how they carry themselves, how they dress themselves, how they deal with other people. And if you don't believe me, just turn on YouTube for a couple minutes and you can see all the foolishness of the world of people who have no dignity. Notice as it goes on talking about holy men, how are they supposed to live? Notice again in verse number eight, uh, verse number seven, in all things, Showing thyself a pattern of good works, doctrine showing uncorruptness, gravity, sincerity, sound speech. You know that we're actually supposed to have speech that is healthy and helpful to people rather than speech that tears things down and calls names and hurts people. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that when he is of the contrary part, may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say against you. The young man last night that I was dealing with he uh, began to yell about our president, yell about police officers, so much that I was uh, afraid uh, to be accosted by him to even uh, mention that I was a chaplain for the Outer Gaming Police Department. I, just, I was just expecting that would be a trigger button for him and he would blow up on that. But no matter what he said and as he dealt with them, didn't yell back, didn't work with them. And the thing was is that the more that he would get upset and yell and try to get his point across just to listen politely just try to give him the truth and that's all I can do but he there's no way he could accuse me and say nah he yelled at me first he yelled at me also he yelled back at me there was nothing that he could say back and one day he'll think back to that and say you know what there was a Christian there that behaved himself as a Christian and he'll be ashamed and think about it there's one day it could be in the other side of eternity that he'll remember such an encounter Notice as the Bible goes on talking about, in verse number 8, about holy men. Sound speech that cannot be condemned, that he that is the contrary part may be ashamed, having no evil thing to say against to you. So we know that because of Calvary, because of Jesus Christ coming again, that there's an expectation that God has for us to live in this present world, that God is looking for holy grandfathers. God is looking for holy grandmothers. God is looking for holy mothers. God is looking for holy men. But God is also looking for godly employees. God is looking for godly employees. Notice with me in verse number 9. Exhort servants to be obedient unto their own masters, and to please them well in all things, not Answering again. That carries the idea of not talking back, not talking under the breath. That servants, employees, we're just supposed to please our masters. Imagine that. You are hired to please your master. That almost needs to be taught again. Really? I'm supposed to go to work, not just to get a paycheck? I'm not supposed to go to work just to uh, occupy space to be a warm body? I'm actually supposed to please the guy who hired me? You know, that's such a foreign thought today. But that's what God expects out of 
those who are Christians because of Calvary, because Jesus Christ is coming back. There's a way that we're supposed to be godly employees. Notice with me in verse number 10, not poor loining. Remember the word poor loining has the idea of not stealing. You know, people can steal things from their employer, whether it's staplers or whether it's time. The Bible says we're not supposed to steal, but instead showing all good fidelity. That's being a good steward to actually put the work and the employers before our own, that we want the job to go well. We want our employer to succeed. Verse number uh, 10 again, not perloiding, but showing all good fidelity that they may adorn the doctrine of God and our savior and all things. Why? In this present world. So in this present world, God is looking for some things. He's looking for some holy grandfathers. He's looking for some holy grandmothers. He's looking for some holy mothers. He's looking for some holy young men. And he's also looking for some godly employees in this present world. Why? Because of what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross of Calvary. Because Jesus Christ is coming again and we're going to have to stand before and give an account. Because of those things, God has an expectation and rightfully so of how we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. So with that, may I ask, how are you doing in this present world? You see, we got to keep our mind knowing that Jesus Christ died for me and for my sins. We know that Jesus Christ is coming back because of those two things. We have an expectation from God to live in this present world. How are you doing as a grandfather? How was you doing as a grandmother? How was you doing as a mother? How are you doing as a man? How are you doing as an employee? Are you living soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world? Remember, this isn't the preacher's remarks. This isn't what is the expectation from the president or the constitution or being American. This is an expectation from God how we should live in this present world. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you. Thank you.